This week on Geek Explained, with the time traveling shenanigans of Loki premiering this week on Disney Plus, we're counting down my top five time travel comics. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about time travel, the concept that has led many films, TV shows, and media all over the place. Also has some really great comics attributed to it as well. And with Loki premiering this Friday as of this recording, and time travel being a big part of that show with the Time Variance Authority, dealing with this time-displaced Loki from Avengers Endgame, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about my top five favorite time travel comics. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I talk about all the comics you're going to want to pick up this week. Definitely stay tuned for that as well. But before we get into all of that, let's go ahead and check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, we've got a ton of news to talk about. So let's just get into it. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Two quick pieces of miscellaneous news, both video game news this week. First off, something that's a little sad, but understandable at the same time, I think. God of War Ragnarok, the sequel to Sony Santa Monica's God of War 4, God of 4, God of PS4, whatever you want to call it. The game that we have all been waiting for to continue the saga of Kratos and Atreus has unfortunately been delayed from this year to 2022. Corey Barlog and team made the announcement over Twitter, and I think all of us were kind of expecting this. I think I remember saying on the podcast when they announced this that... I absolutely did not think that it was going to be released this year. I was hopeful, but with a game that is this anticipated, they want to get it right the first time. And with all the stigma around Cyberpunk 2077, it really changed the conversation about getting a game out before it's ready. So I am totally on board with this. Let them take all the time that they need to to make sure this game is great. And uh, hopefully... 2022 is going to come real quick so we can enjoy this game. Uh, and other piece of video game news, <sighs> Fortnite. Fortnite, Fortnite, Fortnite. I don't want to play this game. I'm, just, I'm, I'm pre prefacing this. I don't want to play Fortnite. But when you tell me that you are going to put Superman into Fortnite... You are making a strong case to get me to want to play Fortnite. I don't want to play this game. But this past week, they announced and revealed in their latest trailer for, I think, their newest season or whatever, that Superman is joining the Fortnite fam. And I am mad. I'm very angry because I don't want to play this game, but... It's Superman. 
in a video game. What do you want from me? Like, it's it looks great. He looks fantastic. Um, I will say it's just, it's basically the New 52 suit just with the red trunks. And I didn't like it when I first saw it, but it's starting to grow on me. I'm really liking the look of it. And I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. I shouldn't. But um, it looks great. I'm excited about, like, what they're going to bring to it. Hopefully some alternate costumes as well. Wouldn't mind a Fleischer suit. But who knows? Maybe this is what's going to get me to play Fortnite. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. But we're going to go ahead and jump over to film news. Three pieces of film news here. First off, we got the cast of DC League of Super Pets. So we already knew that uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be portraying Crypto and... We got the rest of the cast, and you can tell by the tone of my voice how excited I am about this. So the cast as it stands uh, has added alongside Dwayne Johnson's uh, crypto, Kevin Hart as Ace the Bat Hound. I am not, I just, uh, I, I don't. I can't. I can't get excited about this. I'm sorry. I know that I'm sure people want to be excited about this, and I'm sure there are people excited about this. So if you're excited about this, great. But we have Kevin Hart playing Ace the Bat Hound. Uh, rounding out the cast, we've got Vanessa Bayer, John Krasinski, Diego Luna. Uh, we also have uh, Natasha Leone and Keanu Reeves. I, man, I, I really... I. I'm not the target audience for this, probably, but, like, I just, I can't get excited about this. I'm sorry. It just, there's there's a certain thing, and we've seen this with all of the drama surrounding uh, Zendaya playing Lola Bunny in Space Jam 2, that, like, it kind of grinds my gears, because there is such... There's a certain thing about stunt casting roles for voiceover when you have plenty maybe too much uh, voice actors waiting to be given these kind of opportunities. Voice acting is a skill that you have to train it just as much as on-camera acting, just as much as commercial acting. Voiceover acting is a skill, and not just anybody can do it. And it's kind of, I don't know, I'm not, I, I hate to be negative, but I'm just not super excited about this. Uh, one thing I am excited about, though, is we got uh, some set photos as well as a brief teaser by the director of Shazam! Fury of the Gods showing off Zachary Levi's new super suit. I am of two minds when it comes to this suit. First off, I really enjoyed the first costume. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Yeah, it looked goofy and, again, you know, for that kind of film, it makes sense. We talked about this back in the uh, Into the Snyderverse uh, series that we did. Go back in the archives, check that out. We did one for every film. But I think this looks a little overcomplicated. However, it, it is doing what it needs to do, which the first suit did as well, which is make Zachary Levi look like a superhero, then I'm all for it. Um, it also looks vaguely similar to a recent uh, Doc Shaner revealed Shazam design, which if it's a Shaner design, you know it's the best design out there. So if it's, you know, 
aping some things from that. I'm totally okay with it. And I'm still very excited about Shazam Fury of the Gods. Looking forward to this for sure. We also got a possible casting rumor for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the sequel to Black Panther is apparently going to be introducing Namor alongside Atlantis. And rumor has it this past week that Tanakh Huerta is going to be playing Namor in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm not super familiar with Huerta as an actor. Uh, I know that he was on Narcos, uh, Narcos Mexico, rather. And, I mean... He looks cool. I was kind of hoping that we were going to get an Asian actor in the role because we have so few in the MCU, but we'll see. Um, there's also some weird rumors going around that uh, he said some not so great stuff. I'm not going to go into it because I haven't done the uh, the required reading to find out if these are true or not, and I don't want to make an ass out of myself, but like, if they're true, it's not great. It's not great. So uh, we'll just have to see, you know, Marvel hasn't said anything, and I wouldn't consider anything confirmed until Marvel officially says it, but we've seen this before, like with the She-Hulk casting with Tatiana Maslany, like, that leaked out long before Marvel announced it, and they kind of missed the boat. There was no fanfare or anything, because all the fanfare came out of the rumor, and out of the leak, so we'll see what happens. Either way, um, we'll just have to, I'm excited for Namor, I'm excited for that character, Especially with the Fantastic Four on the horizon, that could be fun with Reed and Namor. They're one of the best uh, rivalries in all of Marvel Comics, so I'm excited for that, but we will just have to see. Now jumping over to our last two uh, categories for the news segment. Lots of news in both TV and comics. We're going to kick things off with TV news with this. Uh, we're going to start things off with Jupiter's Legacy. You remember that show that I was like, eh, on? Well, apparently Netflix feels the same way because even though it did some pretty good numbers, Jupiter's Legacy has been canceled after only one season. It's a shame because I thought the cast was really strong and they have a lot of good ideas, but uh, Netflix just gave up on it. And I think, unfortunately, it came at a time where we are more or less oversaturated with superhero deconstructions, especially on television and streaming platforms. So uh, maybe they'll revisit it. The you know the showrunner said that they might look at it again in the future, but this iteration of it of Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix is done and dusted. Uh, something that I'm really excited about, though, is that we got the announcement and intro theme song for Spidey and his amazing friends. This is not a remaster or remake of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, the amazing uh, comic book cartoon from way way back this is actually a brand new show aimed at young viewers featuring peter parker gwen uh, stacy and miles morales as they pal around and do spider things so we've got spider-man spider-man and spider gwen doing their stuff alongside uh, guest characters like the hulk Black Panther and Kamala Khan, uh, which is cool. And honestly, the the theme song slaps. It's fantastic. I'm a big fan of that. And it's being made for Disney Junior. So I mentioned earlier that, like, you know, with the League of Super Pets thing, I'm definitely not in the you know uh, target audience for this. But even though I'm not the target audience for Spidey and his amazing friends, I still think this is rad as hell. Uh, getting this out to uh, younger viewers, you know, future comic book fans, fingers crossed, uh, I think is a great win. And it being on Disney Junior, all 
all good stuff. I'm very excited about it for sure. Uh, we also got some news and a photo release that big changes are coming to Batwoman in the coming season, and that is that Cameras Johnson, who has been portraying Luke Fox, is going to become Batwing. He made a he made the announcement on Twitter as well as releasing the first look of him in the suit. It looks great. For that TV budget, it looks fantastic, and I'm excited to see him fight alongside Batwoman in this show. It's really cool. I think this is... It's quickly becoming a very dynamic show, which I'm excited about, and seeing these kind of changes, I am all for. But the big TV news of the week that I am very excited about is that, is considering that all of these, you know, Netflix adaptations are happening. We all know that on the horizon is the Cowboy Bebop Netflix adaptation, which is going to be coming uh, fairly soon. They revealed uh, earlier this week that it's coming this fall. And they also revealed that the original composer for the anime, Yoko Kano, is going to be doing brand new music for the show. I'm very excited about this. I'm super, super, super excited. I cannot wait. Um, Yoko Kano's score for the original anime of Cowboy Bebop is one of my favorite anime scores ever. So I'm very excited to see what she does going forward into this new adaptation. And then rounding things out for the new segment this week, we have comic book news. Four pieces of Marvel news that I'm very excited about. First off, Marvel announced that ahead of of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness dropping next year, they are going to be killing off Stephen Strange in the uh, limited series, I believe it's five issues, entitled Death of Doctor Strange, written by Jed McKay with art by Lee Garbett. Um, This is really exciting. The art looks great. The cover that they released looks fantastic. Uh, That's not Garbett on cover duty, but it still looks fantastic. I'm not super familiar with McKay or Garbett, but I'm excited for this. They both seem very uh, into the idea of telling this story, uh, wanting to explore a world without Stephen Strange. We also know that there are people lining up to kind of take the next Sorcerer Supreme spot. And after the events of Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon, which everyone has slept on, literally everyone has slept on, and you should not because at the end of that book, Danny Rand gives up the Iron Fist. He's no longer the Iron Fist. That was a huge thing and no one is talking about it, but the winds of change are a coming. So I'm very excited to see what they do here. And we also know that big changes are coming in November as well because Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley are going to be taking over Hulk, just Hulk. We know that both Venom and the current Venom and Immortal Hulk books are ending this year, so we've been wondering where they go next. Well, Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley are going to be taking over the Hulk book. Art looks great. You know from our Geeksplain book club that we drop every Friday where we're covering each volume of... Uh, Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley's Invincible, that I am a huge, huge fan of Ryan Otley's art. Him and Donnie Cates working together is a dream, and working on the Hulk is awesome. We also know that now that Immortal Hulk is over, Al Ewing needs another spot to go to, and we found out that he is going to be taking over the reins from Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman in the Venom book alongside Ram V and Brian Hitch on art. Uh, This is exciting. It looks like we're going to be getting more uh, 
cosmic space night venom shenanigans so i'm all over that it's kind of funny that donny cates and al ewing are basically just switching series and donny cates had been teasing for a while this new project and i was kind of hoping it was gonna be cap but i will just have to wait and see who they end up putting on captain america for the uh foreseeable future for his next ongoing post uh united states of captain america and speaking of that united states captain america book the big Comics news for me this past week was that we got, I don't think it's our final, I think there's one more, but we got our next new Captain America to be featured in that limited series, and she's a Filipina! Very excited, we got the announcement and reveal of Ariel Agbayani, um, she is a Filipino-American Captain America who is modeling herself a little bit more after Bucky Barnes than Steve Rogers, so I'm really looking forward to that. Character has been created by by Alyssa Wong, Jody Nishijima, and Alana Smith, with Wong and Nishijima doing the uh, writing and art for her uh, inclusion in the series. And I'm, I'm all for this. You know how much I love Cap. You know that this is very personal for me as a Filipino-American. Like, I'm very excited about this. Uh, this is great news. I cannot wait. This book continues to be one of my most anticipated books of the year with every new reveal, and I'm very excited to see what they do with her character and what they do with the overall book. But that is going to wrap up this week's news segment. And speaking of comics, we're going to roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, which is my top five favorite time travel comics ever. So this is a little weird, huh? Solo once again on the podcast. Uh, we had a fantastic crossover event with so many amazing guests last month for X May. If you haven't checked it out yet, what are you doing? Go back and listen to it. And last week, we did a very special spotlight with Dallas from the Comics Collective podcast. Check them out as well on Sweet Tooth. But here and now we are back to solo Eric in the Geek Explain space. And I'm pretty excited about this topic that we've got for you this week. We are counting down my top five favorite time travel comics. This is to celebrate the premiere of Loki on Disney Plus, which as you are listening to this right now, you can actually go check out on Disney Plus right now. You can check out the first episode. 
Real quick, just to get the legal disclaimers out of the way, Disney Plus is not sponsoring this podcast, but they could totally sponsor this podcast. It'd be awesome. But I am very excited to check out this show, and I'm even more excited to check out the time travel aspect of the show. Having Loki go through different times, different timelines, and seeing all the ridiculous shenanigans he's going to get up to. Uh, it, it makes me really excited for the show and how it's going to set itself apart from the previous two Marvel Disney Plus shows. Plus, I've just always been a huge fan of time travel. I think it's a wonderful way to tell stories. And these five comics are some of my favorite comics ever. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this list at number five, kicking things off, is Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, specifically Volume 3, entitled Amazing Fantasy. This collects uh, issues number 301, 302, and 303, as well as the first annual of the series, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Joe Quinones. I love this comic. And the funny thing is, not a lot of people... Well, think about Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man at first when you're talking about time travel comics, which I think is a shame because this has some of the best examples of time travel done right when it comes to comics, and that's taking all of the ridiculous continuity that comic books have to offer and using it to tell a kick-ass story. Uh, let's talk about the synopsis and then we'll go into a little bit more on the book. Join Peter Parker, his sister Teresa, and J. Jonah Jameson in a time travel spectacular. Faced with a problem so huge that the only solution lies in the past, the unlikely trio will attempt to save tomorrow by taking the fight to yesterday. But their high-risk gamble may just alter the course of history for the worst. So I love this story. Um... Real quick, just a bit of backstory on the book itself. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, was kind of the little brother to the Amazing Spider-Man run that was going on with Dan Slott at the time. And for me, during that run, no disrespect to Mr. Slott, but this was my Spidey book. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, was the Spider-Man book for me because it took all of the weird, wacky, uh, street-level stuff that Spidey deals with on a day-to-day -day basis and gave it that little bit of Zdarsky panache. Gave it a little bit of weird that only Zdarsky can bring to his stories, and it was magic for me. And coming into this story, Earth was dealing with a gigantic uh, alien invasion from this alien race called the Vadomi, and there was nothing they could do. Everything was already set in stone. The Avengers were being just absolutely thrashed by this alien invasion. And so it was devised that basically uh, these three heroes, Spider-Man, J. Jonah Jameson, who at this point knew uh, Spidey's identity, as well as Peter's sister, Teresa, mm -hmm, read the series if you want to know more about that, uh, we're going to go back in time to Spidey's early days to try and stop the Tinkerer from contacting these uh, these aliens, and possibly find a way to stop this uh, alien invasion from happening. And it's just great. You know, it's it's a very, like, simple, like, go of the past, save the world kind of story, but what they do so well with this is that they actually put the story in the events of the 
previous Spider-Man history. So this puts them, this plops them right in the middle of the very first Tinkerer appearance way back in the Amazing Spider-Man run by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. So you get these Ditko-esque designs courtesy of Joe Canones, who absolutely does a phenomenal job in this book selling you on this previous timeline drawing, you know, giving everything that Ditko-esque edge, but also using his own uh, art style to communicate the fact that it is the past. The design, uh, the little intricacies in the design of past Peter Parker is so wonderful to me. He has the, like, red and black uh, Ditko coloring with the very slitted uh, spider eyes on the mask, but he utilizes, you know, the design that he currently has for adult Peter Parker and, you know, makes the face a little, you know, slimmer, makes his nose a little bigger, his hair's a little bit more unruly to show, you know, that these are very, these are the same character, just have, you know, having had a lot of years in between. And it takes events from that original Lee and Ditko run that happened in, you know, a certain order and messes with them because they decide that, oh, you know, anything that we do in the past isn't going to affect our future. It's just going to affect the future of this timeline. So, they are you have uh, spidey on spidey shenanigans the two of them going and stopping crimes in tandem two spideys for the pi- price of one and watching them banter watching them interact not just with villains but also with uh peter's uh, bullies in high school, dealing with Flash Thompson. Uh, there's a great, great callback uh, utilizing both of the designs from both the uh, Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon as well as the original 90s cartoon where outside of costume, uh, adult Peter dresses very much like the original uh, 90s uh, animated series Peter with the weird color blocked polo shirt that's just a little bit too like loud but the teenage Peter Parker is dressed or at least his costume or his uh his wardrobe is very much inspired by the Peter Parker of the spectacular Spider-Man costume so it's just taking a bunch of these uh different pieces from Spider-Man's history and turning them into little details and more uh, narrative-focused details and turning them into this great story. They also have the consequences of, you know, these characters messing with this current past. Teresa's still trying to figure out if she is indeed Peter Parker's... um, Peter Parker's biological sister, J. Jonah Jameson, being the reporter that he is, goes and meddles with some stuff that I'm not going to get into, but it's just a fantastic story that also has one of the most uh, haunting images of the Green Goblin that I have ever seen, and that's all juxtaposed with Kanonez's more uh, cartoony style, which I absolutely love. And it's just a fantastic story about time travel, the effects that time travel can have. And I just, I love this book. It's so fun. It's so engaging. And it just being over the course of three issues is fantastic. It's an absolute must read, especially if you're a Spider-Man fan. So that is why it is at my number five. At number four is probably a lesser known comic. Uh, This is The Bunker from 2014. This is written by Joshua Fialkov with art by Joe Infernari. And this is 
a 19 issue series that deals with time travel in a more direct way so let's go ahead and read the synopsis and then we'll talk to you about the book so the synopsis reads like this on their way to bury a time capsule five friends grady heidi natasha daniel and billy uncover a metal bunker buried deep in the woods inside they find letters addressed to each of them from their future selves told they will destroy the world in the very near future, the friends find over the course of, of the next few days growing further and further apart. Though they've been warned against making the wrong choices, how do they know what the right ones are? Can the future really be changed, or will an even, de- even darker fate engulf the world? This is such a cool concept for a story you know this idea of you know paradox this idea of predestination and all of the trappings that you don't normally find in you know uh, your traditional time travel story because I think with a lot of time travel stories your basic concept at least my mind immediately goes to oh somebody's traveling in time someone's going into the past someone's going into the future and though there are aspects of that in this story the main story is about the people from the present being affected by these letters from the future and watching all of these friends you know Grady and Heidi have this interesting relationship. Natasha is just, oh God, everybody's really dynamic. I think Daniel might be the least dynamic out of all of them. But all of them have such great characters that you really get into and get invested each in each of them telling their stories. You know, I again, I don't want to spoil anything, but... Watching Grady make choices after he is influenced by the letters that uh, come from the future, as well as watching Billy, who doesn't get a letter at the beginning of this story, watching that grow and, you know, watching the resentment and these secrets that they all had with each other being exposed by these letters and watching them being influenced by that is just super engaging. And also, you know, watching certain characters who may get more information than others, watching how they react to that and how they may use that to their own devices is fascinating. It's endlessly fun, uh, but not in a way that's like, oh, I'm having a great time. It is watching these characters continually either make the wrong choice or make choices that they have no control over. As they are manipulating each other through the use of these letters is fascinating. It's a dark, dark thriller comic that I cannot recommend enough. And it's a book that I think more people should check out. I will say the ending gets a little convoluted, a little... um, confusing uh which i mean the time the concept of time travel kinds of kind of lends itself to in the first place but it is a great ride to go on such dark also kind of political as it gets you know going and really ramps up halfway through the series it's a wonderful book that you should absolutely check out with characters that are very flawed and very human in the way that they are able to make this story so engaging from a very already interesting premise so big fan of this book if you are a fan of time travel if you're a fan of um of thriller comics this one is one you should absolutely check out so that's at my number four at number three we have a comic that is 
very near and dear to my heart, and you will understand why as soon as I tell you the title. It's Captain America, Man Out of Time from 2010, written by Mark Wade with art by uh, George Molina. It's a five-issue miniseries, and wait, I know what you're thinking. Oh, this is just, he's putting in a Captain America co- comic, you know, with the faintest, you know, relation to time travel, but but, but time travel does happen, okay? Time travel happens in this book, I promise you. Um this is in what I would kind of describe as a Captain America year one. And when we get into the synopsis here, we'll kind of talk about what that means. So the synopsis reads like this. When the Avengers pull a mysterious tattered soldier from the sea, they unwittingly bring back to life the living legend of World War II, a man whose memories of a life 60 years ago are as fresh as yesterday. How will Steve Rogers, frozen in suspended animation for half a century, adapt to the world of the 21st century? So this is, in essence, a five-issue series that documents more or less the first year of Captain America stories after being thought out by the Avengers in Avengers number four, recontextualizing them, bringing them to a modern audience with modern storytelling, and... God, it's such a good book, man. Like, the first half of the first issue is dedicated to Steve's origin story, him becoming Captain America, him serving in World War II, keeping his identity a secret, and then he is thrust into the modern day. And watching him deal with that, watching him interacting with... uh, with the Avengers, with Rick Jones, watching him deal with some PTSD, in fact, from that huge time jump is fascinating. Mark Wade, you already know how much I love Mark Wade, but the art here is really what sells it for me. I already know that I'm going to like a book if it's got Mark Wade's name on it, but the art by George Molina is so good. Not only working through the uh, differences in appearances from layouts to character designs from the 40s into pretty much the 20 the 2000s slash the 2010s and watching how that evolves over time is really really cool there's a there's an issue devoted to Steve's PTSD where he's dealing with the effects of being frozen and seeing people who aren't really who they are watching the you know, he runs into Rick Jones and is like, oh my god, Bucky, because he kind of looks like Bucky. And watching that dissonance between the two of them is really, really good. There is, in fact, some time travel involved, making this one of the most compelling Captain America stories that I've ever read. It stands head and shoulders above a lot of Captain America stories that just go, oh, look at the old man who's dealing with the young stuff. And it's fascinating to kind of watch it develop it's fascinating to watch this character who is so um who is so established by the era and the uh political landscape of where he comes from and watching him being thrust into a modern age is you know the whole pull for the character in modern day stories and the way that they pull everything together the way that they tell the story of a man who is desperate to get back home is something that I don't normally see in Captain America comics like a lot of times when we get to you know oh Steve's thought out of the ice and now he's an Avenger a lot of times the series kind of or at least most modern stories kind of blow past that and go all right now he's in the future he is 
dealing with the present day. He is dealing with all these changes and he is off doing superhero things. But what this book does, and I've talked about it before on the podcast, is that it documents his story on trying to get back. He is desperately trying to figure out, okay, how do I get back? How do I save Bucky? How do I get back to my life? And it's a very personal and introspective story for Steve while also dealing with kind of the ridiculous stuff that's going on with the Avengers at the time. You know, we have his first adventure where he saves the Avengers. We have him, you know, dealing with Kang the Conqueror who shows up and all the time travel shenanigans that go on with that. But ultimately at the heart of it, it's a guy who is trying to reclaim his life. And it's forever one of my favorite Captain America stories and and it is absolutely one of my favorite time travel stories. So that is why it is at number three and one of my top comics ever. But at number two, we have a story that I'm I'm pretty sure no one is surprised at being here. And if this is your number one, I don't think I could argue it whatsoever. It's Days of Future Past, Uncanny X-Men issues uh, 141 and 142 from 1981, written by Chris, Chris Claremont with art by John Byrne. Um, it's a classic. What more can I say about Days of Future Past that hasn't already been said? Um it is the comic that spawned a million sequels, a million spinoffs, and its own film. Days of Future Past is one of the most iconic X-Men stories ever told. It was told at the heart of the Chris Claremont era. It was really what kicked off all of the incredible ideas that Chris Claremont would have over the course of his over the course of his the second half of his run. And watching him tell such a powerful and gripping story over the course of just two issues like that still boggles the mind of being able to tell a story that has influenced so many others has influenced so much of what the x-men have dealt with the current x-men era the current hickman era where they are desperately fighting against the future that is ruled by the sentinels was started here over the course of two issues you know we've seen especially in modern comics when it comes to big events just get blown over by like you know 25 issue you know events with five uh tie-in comics per corner of the Marvel universe and what's so great about this is that it has such it it, it has huge ramifications when it comes to the greater world you know it has mentions of the greater marvel universe characters who are not mutants being affected by the events of the future timeline and watching how all of that is wrapped up in just two issues is so cool and it really is a testament to the storytelling of both chris claremont and john byrne and watching them tell a parallel story of the Kitty Pride of the future going back in time and inhabiting her her past self who had just joined the X-Men and watching them navigate and try to you know prevent this horrific future while the X-Men of today or of of the uh of the horrible future timeline are trying to uh pro you know uh hold off Sentinels to give, you know, future Kitty enough time to, or Kate, enough time to stop whatever is coming, happening. It's a great story. I 
got really engrossed in it, so I skipped past the uh, the synopsis, which reads, Journey into the dystopian future, where Sentinels stalk the Earth and the X-Men are humanity's only hope until they die. Like, that's such a great synopsis to tell you. It really tells you everything you need to know. And it has probably one of the most iconic, you know, issue 141 and 142 have two of the most iconic comic book covers ever, certainly of X-Men, but really of all Marvel comics. Like, everyone knows the, the cover where old man Wolverine is shielding Kate with the... Uh, captured slain and uh missing you know poster behind them and then issue 142 has wolverine getting absolutely bodied by a sentinel it's so cool watching these uh watching these characters who are on a collision course try to prevent that crossover from happening. And the idea that the ending, and I'm trying to stay as spoiler-free as possible, because if you haven't read the story, you absolutely should, having the ending be incredibly ambiguous when they could have tied it up with a really neat bow is such a smart and brave choice for these storytellers who are telling, you know, maybe they didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, one of the most iconic and important X-Men if not comic events of all time. So Days of Future Past, an easy choice. You knew it was going to be on the list somewhere. And I'm sure, again, for many people, this is their number one comic when it comes to time travel stories. And you would be hard-pressed for me to argue that. Except for one comic. There's one comic that I think does time travel better than any other comic that I've ever read, at least, in my perspective and in my comic reading experience. And to pull the uh, curtain back a bit on this podcast, when I do lists like this, when I think of top five lists, when I do them for this podcast, I will initially do a... I'll just write down, you know, as many comics that pertain to that topic as possible that come to mind that I think deserve to be on the list. Then I'll whittle it down until I have a top five. And when I go through the top five, I will reread these stories, right? Just to make sure I have them fresh in my mind for when I record the episode and also so that I can make sure I have them for reference and that I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about them for the for the show. And this book started off at the number four position, right? And I I don't think I've ever had this happen before, where as I read it, it started to move up in a spot, went to the number three position, then to the number two position, right beneath Days of Future Past. Because Days of Future Past, spoiler alert, was my number one initially. But as I got further into the series, I really started to understand just how special this book was. Over the course of 30 issues, this book gave me not just a time travel story, but a coming-of-age story. It gave me a story of friendship, a story about our place in the world, a story about how brief life can be and a story about how little time we have 
on this earth and how we need to spend it to the fullest. And I'm sure those who have read the story already know where I'm going with this, but the number one sto- the number one time travel comic for me, my number one favorite time travel comic of all time is Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang's Paper Girls. I will at some point do a full-on episode just talking about this story this book that started in 2015 is incredible um and i also have to give love to matt wilson's colors because um he and cliff chang do such a great job telling the story of these girls these paper girls going through starting incredibly uh in an incredibly humbling uh place and taking them into probably one of the most fantastical stories i've ever read uh let's quickly do a synopsis so we can talk about the book itself Synopsis reads, in the early hours after Halloween of 1988, four 12-year-old newspaper delivery girls uncover the most important story of all time. Suburban drama and otherworldly mysteries collide in the smash hit about nostalgia, first jobs, and the last days of childhood. Now, you can read that synopsis and not know at all what the book has in store for you and that's what's so wonderful about this book see the first issue of paper girls brings together our four leads that being mac tiff kj and aaron and all four of them are paper girls they deliver newspapers in the early hours of each day the four of them not really having what we would call a close relationship, but seeing how they develop over the course of just this first issue, where you have no inklings that there's any time travel going on. There's some weird stuff happening. There's kids being dicks and generally showing, you know, the 1980s as they were and not how, you know, we idealize them as. And then over the course of the first arc, the first five issues, um, bringing in and slow burning the concept of time travel and really ramping it up as they go to the point that these four are possibly the most important individuals in this entire timeline, in this entire what we come to know as a time war going on is a, man, like I said, I'm going to devote an entire episode to this at some point, but reading through the stories of these four girls, how they come to uh, embrace their identity, how they come to learn more about themselves than they ever knew beforehand. It takes all of these things that we as readers kind of take for granted. You know, I, I always hear whenever I'm talking to somebody about coming of age stories, I always see at least someone roll their eyes because, you know, an 80s coming-of-age story is one of the most played-out story concepts or story prompts, at least nowadays. But watching someone actually take that concept and turn it into something wholly original that I've never seen before is masterful. Um, If you want something that's really in-depth on the story that does involve spoilers. I do have to give a shout-out to Matt Draper, frequent guest on the podcast and hater of all things Cyclops. Um, 
Matt Draper's video on his YouTube channel, go subscribe, uh, was the initial was the thing that gave me my initial interest in the book. I never read the book before. And when I got to the spoiler section, I was like, okay, I am very interested in this. And I will come back to this video at some point. And I have to tell you how satisfying it is to know nothing going into this book and watching as these characters develop. Each of them, you know, is devoted a five-issue arc. You know, the first five issues really kind of bring them all together, and then each of the five issue, each arc that comes out of that, each four or a five-issue arc for the next four uh, arcs are f- kind of have a lead depending on, you know, which character comes to the forefront. And the final arc brings them all together once again for a beautiful and bittersweet uh, climax. I am I'm trying so hard not to spoil anything because I really want you to go read this book. Um, If there's any of these books that you should read, you should read all five of them. Paper Girls is the book that you should read because it does something that we've seen before. We've seen, you know, the teenagers in the 80s learning about their own identity. We've seen time travel comics taking young leads and thrusting them into the future and into the past. But what Vaughn Chang and Wilson managed to do over the course of the 30 issues that they have here are take four characters who are 12 years old, and I have to stress that they are 12 years old throughout the course of this series, um, or at least at the start of it. They and and over the course of the 30 issues, they take these 12 year olds and bring them to a realization that most people spend their entire lives chasing about the true epiphany. You know, it's really easy to say, like spend all the time that you have because you don't know how much you have. But these characters who, in some You know, in some ways they learn about their future selves, in some ways they learn, you know, about their untimely ends. Like, it is beautiful, and it is tragic, and it is inspiring all in one story. And um, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I'm getting emotional, you know, just thinking about how this book affected me on like a personal level on a level of someone who is constantly trying to figure out their place in the universe as I'm sure many people are and watching these characters grow and change develop and learn more about not just who they will be but who they are right now is one of the greatest reading experiences I've ever had it's a fantastic story. It is something that absolutely deserves to be adapted. And spoiler alert, Amazon is adapting it right now. Amazon's killing it. I, I hate to give Jeff Bezos any kind of credit, but Amazon is killing it right now with these comic book adaptations. And I absolutely believe that Paper Girls is a story that literally everyone should read. Literally everyone. You need to read this. Um... It's a story about love. It's a story about friendship. It's a story about understanding that you are enough. And I love this book. I love this book so much. It is my number one pick for time travel comics, and it is a book that you should absolutely read. So to recap this list, we've got Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 3, Amazing Fantasy. We have The Bunker, Captain America, Out of Man Out of Time, Days of Future Past, and Paper Girls. And while, again, I think you should read all five of these books, uh, pick one that you haven't read before. 
pick one that you are you know nothing about and you want to learn more about it because the best thing about these stories and the best thing about time travel in general is that the future hasn't been written just yet. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at a local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, and there's a lot of them, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek's Playing Pick of the Week of last week. And for me... Pretty easy choice, Marauders 21, uh, written by uh, Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Lolly. Um, Just so good. Like, what do you want from me? Uh, (laughs) It is part one of the Hellfire Gala, the opening salvo, basically giving us both the beginning and the end of the event. And now we're basically just left to pick up the pieces and see what happens in between those two very different scenes. Uh, It was just great seeing how the wider Marvel Universe reacts to Krakoa and all of this, like, show of extravagance. And they dotted some hints here and there near the end of the book that they have made some kind of big announcement or something where uh, it is going to change the landscape of the Marvel Universe going forward. So I am very much looking forward to this, but we got to get into this week's books because there is a ton of them. This might be the most we've ever had on the Comics Countdown. We have 1, 2, 3, 4, 8... 12, we have 16 comics. We have 16 comics. My wallet is staring at me from across the room with this vengeful look. It is staring a hole through my body. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and dive into it. First off, we've got, and I mean, we have a lot of tie-in stuff as well. So if you're not like a tie-in guy or gal, um, your stack is going to be shorter inevitably but i am just for the purposes of both heroes are born and the hellfire hellfire gala the hellfire gala i'm going to be including those in here because i am planning on picking them up i want to know both events and like i said before i've been loving the uh hell or the uh heroes are born tie-ins maybe a little bit more than the actual main book itself um but i was really impressed by the first uh batch of hellfire gala tie-ins with you know last week's offerings when it came to marauders hellions and i believe x-force so i'm looking forward to this there's a lot going on let's go ahead and dive into this week's books kicking things off with a hellfire galatian that being children of the atom number four written by vita ayala with art by paco medina i'm going to be honest with you i haven't been reading this book uh there's going to be quite a few books in this um hellfire gala lineup that i don't really read week to week but I have heard some good things about Children of the Atom. It's part of the Hellfire Gala, so I will be tuning in for it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Dreams die young. Krakoa is opening its doors for the Hellfire Gala. Sounds like the perfect opportunity for the Children of the Atom kids to visit. After all, Krakoa is their home, right? What could stop them, or rather, who? So I like this premise, um, the idea that, you know, of course, 
like it said, Krakoa is opening its gates to show the world what they've got back in is interesting, and it's one of the most interesting parts of this Hellfire Gala, so looking forward to checking this out. Next up, we have Iron Man number nine. This is written by Christopher Cantwell with art, of course, by Kafu. I have been loving this book. I've been really, really digging this book. The way the the voice that Cantwell has for Tony and the entire like small-time supporting cast has been really good. He's kind of recontextualized Korvac in a really interesting way, so I'm looking forward to picking this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Origin of Korvac after discovering the strange new sensation of self-doubt, Korvac and his crew take a detour in deep space to search for an unlikely ally. But conversion can often be difficult, and soon Korvac is left wondering if he'll ever have any followers born from faith rather than fear. So yeah, I, like I said, I've been really digging this. It makes me really excited for the United States of Captain America book that Cantwell's going to be putting out pretty soon here. Very excited about that book. Uh, so definitely pick this up, especially if you're a big Iron Man fan. Next up, we have American Vampire 1976, number nine, written by Scott Snyder with art by Raphael Albuquerque. I keep thinking every issue is the last issue, <laughs> but I have a feeling that this is going to 10. So I think that this is going to be uh, the penultimate issue. We've got one more issue after this. Really been enjoying it, even though I do feel like it's starting to stretch near the end here. But either way, looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and check out this synopsis. Part 9. It's the beginning of the end. With their numbers cut and only hours left before the earth cracks and humanity is conquered, the VMS has exhausted every smart defensive strategy. Their last hope is a marathon of increasingly desperate Hail Marys, culminating in a high-speed face-off with the Beast, freshly emerged from hell in its terrifying final form. Before the score is settled, Travis taps into new powers to rally a surprising source of backup. Felicia takes control of the president's nukes, Gus fights for freedom, and Skinner and Pearl rehearse an unthinkable farewell. So I kind of had the feeling that Skinner wouldn't be jumping into the bunker at the end of last issue, and obviously, according to the synopsis, that is the case. Looking forward to seeing how they get us ready for the finale here. Next up, we have our first Heroes Reborn tie-in, that being Heroes Reborn Night Gwen, number one. This is also written by Vita Ayala with art by Farid Karami. Uh, not super familiar with Karami's art, but if it's anything like uh, like the quality that we've seen so far from the Heroes Reborn, both main series and tie-ins, I'm very much looking forward to this. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Introducing Nightbird. By day, Dr. Gwendolyn Stacy is Ravencroft Asylum's leading psychiatrist. But by night, she dons the guise of the vigilante known as Nightbird. But how did this happen? Why did this happen? And what does Kyle Richmond, the Nighthawk, have to do with it? There may not be any time to find out, because Nightbird must hunt down a new killer called the Jackal. So again, I just... I love... Heroes were born for all of the recontextualizations, the kind of remixes that they're doing for all these characters. Uh, Gwen Stacy is alive in this version of the Marvel Universe. So really excited to see how they kind of blend that with the whole Spider-Gwen deal that's going on there. Very much looking forward to picking this up. Next up, we have Wonder Woman, number 773. This is written by Jordi Belair, Becky Cloonan, and Michael Conrad with art by Travis Moore and Paulina Ganesho. 
And again, this book has been very good. It's intriguing. Putting Diana in Asgard is awesome. The cover of this has her throwing Mjolnir, which is super cool. Um, but again, I have been enjoying the main story more than the backup, which happens totally fine not saying that the backup is bad it's just not my cup of tea so i would say definitely pick this up especially if you're a wonder woman fan let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here all the treacherous roads of asgard have led here the fortress of the valkyries these deciders of death on the battlefield have grown tired of the ways of their world and have turned it upside down to remake it in their image can wonder woman broker peace between these mighty maidens and the men whose fate lies in their hands this has the makings of a war our hero may never win Meanwhile, in the Themyscira of old, Diana puts her quest to find the missing texts on hold to visit with Magala, the oldest Amazon on the island. Shunned by her sisters, this Keeper of the Well of Souls has secrets to share, and our young hero is there to listen. So yeah, really cool ideas, really cool concepts, even in the backup that I'm not loving, uh, it's still really, really good stuff. Next up, we have Heroes Reborn Squadron Savage number one. This is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Luca Pizzari. I'm sorry if I said that incorrectly. I'm sorry. Uh, but this is interesting. This is, we're getting, you know, the um, Savage Avengers, but with the squadron. And we've got some interesting players on here. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Electra leads a team of the world's deadliest heroes and villains, with all of reality hanging in the balance. There are some threats that require a more savage approach than the Squadron Supreme of America can offer. For those missions, the Department of Defense has put together a team consisting of Electra, the Punisher, Crossbones, Cloak, and the enigmatic Murder Hornet. They must fight their way through a team of superpower terrorists known as the Redeemers. If they don't kill one another first, prepare for for twists, turns, double crosses, and action aplenty. So this sounds like more uh, almost Thunderbolts than Savage Avengers, but crossing them together just makes sense. They're very similar concepts, so looking forward to checking this out for sure. Next up, we have Batman Urban Legends number four. This is written by Matthew Rosenberg, Chip Zdarsky, Megan Fitzmartin, and Camrys Johnson, with art by Eddie Barrows, Marcos Toe, Ryan Benjamin... Belen Ortega and Ibra Ferreira and this book has been great so far it's been really really good I've been digging it all of the you know um what's it called the uh, uh anthology all the anthology stories have been really strong so far even the ones that have been just one-offs and this book has a lot of stuff going for it let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis and you'll see what I mean the penultimate chapter of the Grifter story is here. Grifter's walking a deadly line between Lucius Fox and Halo's plan. Can he survive the endgame? Oh, and yeah, now Superman is after him. As old wounds threaten to sabotage Batman and Red Hood's investigation into the cheerdrop drug turning Gotham City upside down, they run afoul of Gotham's coldest criminal, Mr. Freeze. And the force behind the cheerdrops will be banking on the former dynamic duo's demise. 
Tim Drake has returned to the streets of Gotham City and is seeking a new purpose. But what he finds is a string of young adult kidnappings committed by someone known only as the Chaos Monster. Will Tim be able to get to the root of the kidnappings, or will he fall prey to them? Critically acclaimed future state Robin Eternal writer Fagan Fitzmartin returns to tell this Tim Drake story with rising star artist Belen Ortega. Acclaimed creator and actor Camrys Johnson writes an action-packed story featuring Luke Fox, the character he portrays on the CW's hit television series, Batwoman. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad that they're giving... Um, uh, actors and you know people outside of comics the uh the ability to kind of break you know cut their teeth in the comic book realm i think it's cool it's given us some really great stories in the past but for me it's it's a tim drake book like what do you want from me tim drake this awesome uh zadarsky barrows red hood story grifter's almost done like this is I'm all in on this. You know I'm all in on this. This is going to be great. Next up, we have Strange Academy number 11. This is written, of course, by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos. And we are about to start a murder mystery. I'm very excited about this. They've been uh, teasing this and advertising this for a little while now. So especially with the news we talked about earlier that uh, Doctor Strange is going to be dying soon uh death is a big part of these you know doctor strange adjacent books so definitely keep your eye out for this one let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here it's a murder mystery at strange academy and not the fun kind with the pretend roles toth has been shattered and everyone is a suspect can the teachers discover who done it could it be one of them and just so you know, in the uh, synopsis, it has one of them all in caps. So just be aware. Uh, I'm I'm just super excited about this. I feel bad because Toth just got a girlfriend, uh, which, you know, classic storytelling. You got to give somebody something really nice before you kill them. But I am looking forward to this. This should be really good. Any kind of like murder mystery in a school setting, I, I'm always in for. So very much looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the next book, which is Detective Comics number 1037, written by Mariko Tamaki with art. And uh, John Ridley as well, with art by Victor Bogdanovich, Dustin Yuyen, Jonathan Glapione, and Carl Mostert. Um, this looks like it is going to be something big. So not just uh, the main story we're getting this week, we're also getting two backups. Two backups. The first backup, entitled Three Minutes, is uh, featuring Ridley and Nguyen. The other backup is exclusive by Tamaki and Mostert, and it looks like the main uh, story is going to be giving us a break from Dan Moore's art, which is unfortunate, but also sliding in Victor Bogdanovich is never a bad thing. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Neighborhood. Part 4 slash 3 minutes slash exclusive. Public enemy number 1, Batman. Public enemy number 2, Bruce Wayne. When both Bruce and his alter ego are implicated in the same crime, the cops have some questions, and the Dark Knight is going to have to think quick or risk his identity being exposed to the world. But law enforcement isn't the only entity hunting the bat. The titanic Mr. Worth is ready to use all his money and power to see Batman six feet under. 
featuring not one but two additional epics. First up, Three Minutes explores the early days of Lucius Fox's introduction to the world of Batman. Then, in exclusive, the Gotham Gazette's own Deb Donovan runs down the power players in Gotham City. So it sounds like these two are basically going to feed into a lot of the concepts and main narrative of the main story, which is great. So I'm looking forward to picking this up. This has been one of the strongest books from DC since the uh, Infinite Frontier initiative started. Next up, we have Heroes Reborn number six, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Ed McGinnis and Erica Durso. Uh, this has been great. Heroes Reborn, I think so far, has been a pretty awesome event, uh, showing off this alternate world where the Squadron Supreme are essentially the Justice League of the D of the uh, Marvel Universe. I've been digging this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Over the eons, the fabled daughter of Utopia Isle, known as Power Princess, has defeated the Algog, Gore the Butcher, and the King in Black. But now she must venture into the ruins of Asgard, where something unexplained is stirring in the graveyard of the gods. So that sounds super cool, though I think it's, I mean... I want to talk about like overpowered like algog gore and king in black like i don't i mean power princess is she too strong i don't know i think it's awesome but um that's going to be very interesting to see how they if they you know call back to that with any flashbacks or anything this should be pretty cool so definitely pick this up for sure next up we have justice league last ride number two this is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Miguel Mendoca. Um, this has been great. I really, really liked the first issue. I think it sets up a lot of tantalizing plot threads that we can pull on, and I just hope that they continue on with this. Um, Justice League Last Ride, the first issue was fantastic. I'm really digging the art as well. Super, super good. Very strong book. And this is my Justice League book, so... Uh, there, I said it. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The League needs to prevent galactic upheaval by protecting a ruthless killer. And the only way to do that is to, re is to visit the scene of their greatest failure. But can Superman ignore the ghosts of the past to do what's needed? Lots of turmoil, lots of angst, lots of, you know, character versus character rather than, you know, fighting. I dig stuff like this, so I am definitely going to be picking this up for sure. Next up, we have another Hellfire Gala tie-in, tie that being Excalibur number 21. This is written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe. I, come on, it's good. I'm really, I'm... I'm just very excited with everything that they're setting up with this. Uh, again, I don't really read Excalibur. I have been, you know, catching up on it slowly because I was just so, um, I was so enthralled by the concept of it after reading uh, Ten of Swords that I had to go back and reread it. So I'm working my way through it right now. But I love this team. I love these characters. I'm just very excited to see where they go from here. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Richter hates parties, even the nice ones. And with Captain Britain's return to a changed world, this one is looking to not be so nice. Excalibur's earth-shattering Hellfire Gala issue will change Krakoan diplomacy forever. 
That's ominous. Uh, very much looking forward to this. This is going to be good for sure. Next up, we have a very big release. This is DC Pride number one. So many creators. Let's go ahead and dive into them. We've got written by Cena Grace, James Tynan IV, Mariko Tamaki, Steve Orlando, Andrew Wheeler, Vita Ayala, Danny Lore, Sam Johns, and Nicole Maines, with art by Mark Andreco, Klaus Jansen, Amy Reeder, Chris Anka, Travis Moore, Kevin Wada, Luciano Vecchio. Uh, Nick Robles, Rachel Scott, Ted Brandt, Sophie Campbell, Mildred Lewis, Stephen Byrne, Rose Stein, Rose Stein, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lisa Sturl, Skylar Patridge, Trung Lei Nguyen, and uh, some gorgeous cover art by Jim Lee. Uh, this is awesome. I'm really excited to pick this up. The characters that they're involving in this look really cool, and this is you should be picking this up. This is awesome. All the characters that are here are fantastic. We're getting more stories with characters of the LGBTQ community. You need to just, there's not enough of this. There's not enough of this. You should be excited about this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The wrong side of the looking glass, slash by the victors, slash try the girl, slash another word for a truck to move your furniture, slash he's the light of my life, slash clothes makeup gift, slash be gay, do crimes, slash date night, slash love life. I love be gay, do crimes. That's that's a great title. Uh uh, synopsis goes like this. DC celebrates Pride Month with nine all-new stories starring fan-favorite LGBTQIA plus characters Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Midnighter, Extraño, Batwoman, Aqualad, Alan Scott, Obsidian, Future State Flash, Renee Montoya, Pied Piper, and many more. This anthology will also feature the thrilling introduction of new hero Dreamer to the DCE or to the DCU as seen on the CW Supergirl. A pinup gallery with art by Travis Moore, Chris Anka, Kevin Wada, Sophie Campbell, Nick Robles, and more. And six exciting new profiles of DC TV's LGBTQIA characters, LGBTQIA plus characters, and the actors who play them. I think this is awesome. I am always down for more representation. I, I'm very excited to pick this up. This is going to be great. Next up, we have The Good Asian Number 2. You know how much I love that first book. I am very excited about this. This is written by Pornstock Pichetchot with art by Alexandra Tefenki. I just, you need to pick this up. I mean, it's, if I didn't already sell you on it before, like, come on. Go back, pick up that first issue, pick up this issue, and add it to your poll. If you go to your LCS, you need to be reading this book. It's amazing. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Chinatown noir keeps flipping the genre on its head as Edison Hart comes face-to-face -face with a killer and more suffering, lust, and soul than he'd ever imagine in Chinatown. I just, I want this so much. I love this book. You need to be picking this up. Do it. And then we've kind of got a top, I mean, honestly, these top three are kind of like my big books of the week. Good Asian and the next two books here. First off, we have X-Men number 21, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Sarah Pacelli and uh, Nick Dragota, Russell Dodeman and Lucas Werneck. Um, that's a lot of art talent on this book. I'm very excited about this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
The Heroes of Krakoa debut. It's a changing of the guard as the first X-Men team of Krakoa debuts. One era ends as a new one begins, and the handoff happens here. The final issue. So, looks like X-Men is ending at number 21 before we jump into the new um, uh, era post-Hellfire Gala with our brand new X-Men team. I'm very excited about this book. I'm very excited about this big debut of the new X-Men team. Maybe this is what everyone was concerned about at the end of Marauders number 21. Maybe there's more really off-putting stuff to come. I kind of wish Lanil Francis Yu had been able to come back for art on this issue to kind of you know, bookend everything, but totally understand we've got a bunch of amazing artists on this. I cannot wait to pick this up. And tied with the last two for my big book of the week, you knew it was going to be in the spot. It's Far Sector number 12, written by N.K. Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell. Far Sector. I... I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it because I don't want this book to end. I am so glad that we're getting more of Joe in the mainline Green Lantern book. It's what I've been asking for. If you go back through the last year and a half of this podcast, it's what I've been asking for. They literally, DC Comics, gave me what I asked for, and I'm still bitter about it. I can't be pleased. I just can't. I am, in fact, a comic book fan. because I ask for something, they give it to me, and I have stuff to complain about. But honestly, just Far Sector has been so great. It's been consistently one of the best books that DC has put out in the last 10 years, and I can't wait to read it all over again. This has been a wonderful ride. I hope that Jemison and Campbell get more time with Joe, or just more time just in the DC universe. I love what they've put into this character. I love that they have built this character from the ground up and gotten her to a point where she is able to make the jump into the mainline DC books. But I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this book. I'm going to miss this team. Uh, Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 12. When Joe Mullane left Earth for parts unknown, little did she know she'd end up becoming a Green Lantern at the farthest outpost in the known universe, dealing with a complex culture that was about to have its first murder in centuries. Investigating that death unearthed a lot of secrets and made her a lot of enemies, and it all comes to a head in this rousing final issue. Written by multiple Hugo Award winner N.K. Jemison and drawn by Naomi co-creator Jamal Campbell, this epic space adventure is one you will want to read over and over again. That's awesome. I'm very excited. It's the end of an era. Um, I just, I love this. I'm very excited. This cover is stunning also, by the way. Um, I can't wait to pick this up. This is going to be incredible. I love this book. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. We made it here. 16 books in the lineup. Let's go ahead and recap them for you since it's been a little while since we started this segment. Uh, We have Children of the Atom, number four. Iron Man, number nine. American Vampire, 1976, number nine. Heroes Reborn, Night Gwen, number one. Wonder Woman, number 773. Heroes Reborn, Squadron Savage, number one. Batman Urban Legends, number four. Strange Academy, number 11. Detective Comics, number 1037. Heroes Reborn number 6, Justice League Last Right number 2, Excalibur number 21, DC Pride number 1, The Good Asian number 2, X-Men 21, and Far Sector number 12. 
so many books. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really help me out with all the weird podcast algorithm business. They help raise our stock in the podcasting space and get us out and into the ears of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can join the likes of our Mighty Nine, that being Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, Brian, Mouth Dork, and Dallas Meeks. I want to say a big thank you to these folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. And if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want a quick pitch, maybe some referrals for comics that we haven't covered on the show just yet, you can email me, send emails to geeksplain at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header, or you can put comics with like six or eight Z's in here, like our email from Gaius McCain. I want to say a big thank you to Gaius for sending in his uh, email, and he his email reads, what are your top five favorite comic book runs of all time? Mine are probably Guardians of the Galaxy by Brian Michael Bendis, Amazing Spider-Man by Dan Slott, Batman Rebirth by Tom King, Groot by Jeff Loveness, and The Winter Soldier by Ed Brubaker. Keep up what you're doing. Love your podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate the email. And that's a tough one. I think, honestly, um, I would probably have to dedicate a whole episode to talking about my top five maybe i'll do that for the next landmark uh what episode this is going to be 163 maybe for like 165 or even 200 or 175 or even 200 who knows but some of my favorites some of my personal favorites off the top of my head um Superior Spider-Man by Dan Slott. I absolutely love that series. Um, Uncanny X-Force by uh, Remender. I always have loved. Um, Winter Soldier by Ed Brubaker is great. The cap run that he does as well, kind of, they both work in tandem. So I'm a big fan of that. And you know how much I love that Tomasi Gleason Superman Rebirth run. So those are some of my favorites. Not ranked, but... I hope that answers your question, and I am always looking forward to to hearing people's favorite comic book runs. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy by Brian Michael Bendis is a ton of fun. Big, big fan of that run. Amazing Spider-Man by Dan Slott. I mean, what can you say? He was on the book for so long, and I think people have really started to come around on his time on Spider-Man as, you know, we've gotten some distance from it. He's He made a lot of great choices, Superior Spider-Man being one of them, but I really like his stuff. Uh, group by Jeff Loveness, a lot of people sleep on. It's a great, great book. Uh, I already talked about Winter Soldier by Ed Brubaker and Batman Rebirth by Tom King, I think is going to get the same treatment that Dan Slott's Spider-Man got in that the farther we get away from it, the more people are going to enjoy it. I really dig that Batman Rebirth run. Yes, there were pitfalls. Yes, there were things I didn't like about it. There were missteps that I wasn't a fan of, and I wish that... uh, Tom King had been able to go to uh, 100 issues, but I am still a huge fan of his introspective look into Batman, a look that we, I don't think, have gotten before, and if 
especially not in that style. And it brought a lot of status quo changes for Bruce and for the entire Bat family. So again, big fan of all five of those. If you haven't checked those out, go check them out. Again, thank you to guys for that. Uh, for your email, if I said your name wrong, I I apologize. You know how bad I am with names. Uh, but Again, if you want to send your emails to me, send them to geeksplain at gmail.com, put mailbag or comics with a bunch of Z's in it, and I will read it here on the show. And if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or just shoot the shit with me about the latest geek news, feel free to follow us on the Instagram and the Twitters at GeeksplainPod, that's at GeeksplainPod. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. A lot of fun talking about this. I'm very excited as this episode drops. Loki will be out in the world, so I'm excited to check that out. I'm really excited to see what they do with the show. And I hope you enjoyed my countdown of the top five time travel comics. Did I miss one that you love? If so, let me know. Feel free to send emails or um Talk to me on Twitter. I absolutely love having conversations with you guys about the stuff that we talk about on the show. It's the reason that I put this together anyway. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that everyone's doing well. We are into June now. This is our first June episode. Or no, this is the second June episode. Time is just, time is a construct for me. But uh, we got a lot of stuff coming for you for the rest of the year, stuff that I'm very excited about. So uh, tune in next week, same geek time, same geek channel for a brand new episode of the Geeksplain podcast. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. <laughs>